Whether you drive a car, need a car, or just occasionally bum a ride with friends, you've come to the right place. Join the editors of Consumer Guide Automotive as they break down everything that's going on in the auto world. New car reviews, shopping tips, driving green, electric cars, classic cars, and plenty of great guests. This is the Consumer Guide Car Stuff Podcast. Here's your host, Tom Appel. All right, this is the Consumer Guide Car Stuff Podcast, and I am Tom Appel, publisher of Consumer Guide Automotive. Thanks for joining us today. When you have a moment, please join us at consumerguide.com. While you're there, check out our 2021 Best Buy Picks. This list is an excellent starting place if you are looking for a new vehicle. You will also want to check out our blog for in-depth reviews of all the vehicles we're driving here at Consumer Guide and all sorts of other fun car-related stuff. And if for some reason you have missed an episode of the podcast, you can stream back episodes right there on our homepage. Uh, any questions or comments, drop us a line at carstuff at consumerguide.com. That is carstuff at consumerguide.com. All right, let's see who is online with us today. She is the managing editor of Pickup Truck Plus SUV Talk, and her freelance work can be found all over the internet. She's Jill Simonello. Hey, Jill. Hello. How you doing? I'm doing very well. I noticed uh, this would matter to you, but my commute includes passing the park district, not the park district, the Cook County Forest Preserve near our office. And <laughs> you can finally drive into it today. They had piled snow right there at the entrance, uh -huh. effectively blocking, uh, blocking any access to the forest preserve. But now it's open again. Well, I can I can finally start to see my grill in the backyard again. So um, <laughs> I, I may be able to do something other than baked everything soon. I'm really looking forward to that. Can you reach your grill? You can see it, but can you reach it? Uh, no, it's still piled in snow. So neither neither I nor my husband can actually reach the grill just yet. It's, it's by um, Sunday. I hope so. Yeah, there's still about two or three feet of snow. Like I'm just starting to see the cover over the crust of the snow mountain. <laughs> All right. Hey, he's senior editor here at Consumer Guide Automotive, and he prefers to use the term sweet roll instead of the word Danish. He's Damon Bell. <laughs> Have you ever had a um, Kringle? Yes. Kringles are the best. There's wait, a, wait, wait. A Pringle or a Kringle? No, Kringle. <laughs> Kringle. K-R-I-N-G-L-E. Yes. I'm going to do an unsolicited plug for O&H Bakery in Racine, Wisconsin. Uh, there, I would assume that every Kringle they make has a stick and a half of butter in it. Um, it's a very decadent Danish-style pastry. It's basically a Danish but it's in it's in like a ring the size of like a medium pizza and it's thin right yeah, well yeah it's it's like the it's the same thickness as your typical danish but it's just in a big ring and somehow i think it's more buttery and decadent than your average danish would would you say that and i'm going to be pressing the vocabulary here a little bit the vocabulary of breakfast snacks but it's it's sort of a round coffee cake Mm, not, a, I I think of coffee cake as something more cake like, and this is not as tall as a typical coffee cake. It's All right. yeah, a Danish, but it's like a big ring. Yeah, I have had them. Yes. Uh, I would plug a bakery too, but I can't remember the name of it. <laughs> but it's it's in Harvard, Illinois. Very good. Yes, and they have the. I think one of the their go to flavors is the the marzipan like with the sweet oh. filling yeah huh. um, well yeah. we could probably talk for 10 20 minutes on marzipan it, i'm not a indeed. fan <laughs> uh, well, I, I i can see where you wouldn't be i i don't mind it it might not be my first choice over a cherry apple or raspberry or something but i i'll go for the marzipan all right. Hey, our guest today has a very cool job. Anthony Novak is the Brand and Growth Marketing Manager at Toyota Motor North America. We'll be talking about Toyota's hybrid strategy and whatever else is on Anthony's mind. But first, guys, I have, <laughs> I have to share something. So I'm driving to work. I usually listen to talk radio in the morning, right? And, and CNBC is, is feeding up the news on the station I'm listening to. So it's a national news feed on a local station. The last line of the news is this. 
Jeep is considering giving up the Cherokee name, and Burger King is bringing back the Cheesy Tot. <laughs> okay. No. I would give those stories equal weight. Uh, <laughs> I don't well, recall you know, the cheesy Burger tot. King Cheesy Tot. What, was that just tater tots with cheese sauce? I'm not sure. I'm sure that is what it is, but I, I don't know. Or um, cheese in the center. But I was just... Well, we, we could probably talk about this at length <laughs> at some point, but I was thinking about the, the Cherokee name. Um, and I think it's gone for good this time. I think that the Cherokee Nation is not holding out for a licensing fee. I think they really want Jeep to give it up. Hmm. And then I was thinking about heritage names in the, in the Jeep, uh, Jeep file cabinet. And the, <laughs> the best names I could think up wouldn't work, including Apache, Chief, and Comanche. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> I guess that, uh, yeah, that's uh, swapping one problem for the same problem, kind of. But, but I did come up with two names that should still be there, still under license by FCA for Jeep's use, Eagle and Commander. Yeah, Com Eagle makes more sense than Commander. Commander is so recent and is on that gigantic, uh, you know, yeah. three-row SUV that I don't know that they'd want to use that, but... Eagle makes sense. Eagle? And then would you go with Grand Eagle? Bald Eagle? <laughs> <laughs> Bald Eagle doesn't sound right. No. I like Grand Grand Commander. I do like Grand Commander. Mm, I don't know about that. Because <laughs> well, so like it should be even bigger than a Commander, and a Cherokee is not bigger than any Commander. Well, but well, so my but question is, if like they're getting rid of Cherokee, what happens to Grand Cherokee? Right. They have to replace both. Mm. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's right. Which, you know, they've just launched the three-row Cherokee. Yeah. So you're a great right. Cherokee. So, like, what, what happens to all this naming stuff of things that they're just starting to promote? Commander might work. Hmm. No? Not, think, not digging you like Eagle better? I don't know. No, because no, Eagle... Eagle only works if it's a standalone. Any kind of prefix doesn't make sense. It's funny how Bald Eagle is the most majestic king of the eagles, but it doesn't sound right on a vehicle. Bald eagle, it sounds bald like you, it doesn't sound right to me. So eagle and big eagle, that's not working big, for you. Big old eagle, how about that? <laughs> apostrophe. <laughs> oh, speaking of names and branding, Kia's trying to pull a fast one on us by changing the name of their minivan. And da, 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 no da, 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 you can't da. say minivan. <laughs> <laughs> You've made my point for me, David. What's going go. on? <laughs> yeah. So last week, uh, couple last week, Kia took the wraps off. It's I'll say replacement for the Sedona minivan, uh, <laughs> but they are not calling it a minivan. It's the Kia Carnival, and it, it's it's a minivan. But they don't say they don't call it that. <laughs> they call it a multi-purpose vehicle. Uh huh. MPV is is listed in uh, the the press release, which reminds me, Mazda had a minivan yep. years ago called the MPV. MPV. Yeah. Same uh, multi-purpose vehicle, same uh, uh, abbreviation and everything. So. And how uh, did that end for them? Uh, I think it ended fine. The vehicle ran its course. I mean, it went through a few generations. Uh, yeah, eventually they, they pivoted to the Mazda 5, and I've got one of those sitting in my driveway. So I think the, the MPV name served Mazda well. Everything kind of, not every name lasts for 30 years. So, But yes, the, the Carnival, uh, it's very interesting it, how different manufacturers are tackling the minivan dilemma should we say <laughs> and the the minivan dilemma being that soccer mom stigma and the fact that a good chunk of american buyers just refuse to look at a minivan they don't like that the uh, you know suburban soccer mom stigma so in response to that manufacturers uh try to position their the marketing of their minivans in ways that avoid that soccer mom reality mm -hmm. yeah and chrysler has done a fairly good job of positioning 
Pacifica as, as a near luxury or a luxury vehicle. And I don't know how many people realize, and I th we think we've only glanced on the topic, that they snuck in another minivan, the Voyager, underneath the Pacifica for fleet use and for more price sensitive buyers. But right. the, whole, the whole market is, is going upscale as, as I think minivans are being viewed less and less or, or being successfully marketed less and less as soccer mom vehicles and more as sort of luxury suburban vehicles. And I think that's the segment that Kia is trying to capitalize on here. Here's the thing about the Sedona, which is now the Carnival. In 2020, the base price of the Sedona was 26.7. In 2021, Kia dropped the base trim level and the base price was 30 thousand four hundred and now the base price is thirty three two seventy five so they have tacked on almost six thousand dollars of base price in two years clearly they've moved this thing upscale yeah yeah well you know and the other thing is I, I don't know if you've spent any time looking at the pictures but I would say that Kia has done a really good job of making this not look like a minivan Agreed. You know, it has that very upright grill and stance to it. And, and, and at the end, is that the, the, the C-pillar um, has that very bulky, almost SUV-like look to it. And, and the tail end of it itself, like, it, it's also upright. And, I mean, it looks very, very SUV-like. Yeah, you, you know, what it reminds me ahead, of, it's, what it reminds me of is the last... General Motors tried to do this same bit of styling voodoo on its last <laughs> stab at the minivan market. Um, <laughs> can I can I name them all? I don't know if I can. Uh -huh. You can. You can do it. Okay, let me give it a shot. Buick Terraza. Yep. Mm -hmm. Chevy Uplander. Yep. Mm -hmm. Pontiac. Uh, uh, um, the Saturn Relay. Right? Saturn Relay. And was it? Pontiac was it the Montana? Or was I don't think there, was there a Pontiac in that last Maybe wave. Pontiac was already gone. I think I it was. There was the there was the SV6, but I think it was gone by then. Yeah. Anyway, those GM minivans, the last stab that General Motors took at that market, they all had that extended schnoz SUV mm. style nose in an attempt to uh, to make it look like. Uh, more an SUV than a minivan, and it's funny. One of my buddies, uh, he and his sister are were regular General Motors customers, and she got a flyer about the Buick Terraza, and they didn't say minivan, and they photographed it in such a way that um, <laughs> emphasized that SUV styling. And my buddy's like, his sister was all excited because, oh, did you see the new Buick SUV? I want to, you know, I'm really interested in looking at that, and. My buddy's like, oh, it's 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 a minivan. She's like, no, no, look at it. And then she eventually went into a dealership to check it out, and she was all disappointed that mm -hmm. it was in fact a, a minivan. But the photo that they used de-emphasized that look. So mm -hmm. yeah, the 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 minivan that tries to not be a minivan is not a new thing. Hey no. Damon, oh. do you know what what would have disappointed her more? What's that? Driving it. <laughs> were they that bad they were okay actually the terraza had a surprisingly nice cabin it was sort of the beginning of buick upgrading its interiors and it was also the whole quiet tuning thing had kicked in by then so the buick version was actually not bad i don't remember the other versions yeah I, yeah i can't remember if we if we had an uplander through the consumer guide fleet back then or not a while i don't ago. remember but yeah. but back to the carnival for a second. So they've changed the name. They're getting away from the minivan soccer mom stigma. They've raised the price, making this more of a near luxury vehicle. It still has two sliding side doors. It still seats mm -hmm. up to eight, I believe. Mm -hmm. um, but I don't know. I mean, what do you guys think? Is this something that will catch on? Obviously, I don't think Sedona ever had some sort of loyalty or real market presence. This is a good way to change that. Is But is it going to work? Well, the one thing that I noticed in looking at this, and maybe I, I need to read between the lines a little bit more, but it doesn't look like this is going to have all-wheel drive available. Am I missing something? I don't think it is, no. Because I think that's a bit of a miss, especially with the SUV-like styling. 
Um, and, and, you know, for me, it's more the tail end of the design than the nose that looks like an SUV. But, I, you know, with Pacifica having all-wheel drive, and I think, uh, what is it, the um, Sienna that we're going to be talking about also has all-wheel drive. Like, I, I don't know. So that, that worries me. Hmm. I don't think there's enough all-wheel drive minivan demand for to make it worth all four primary market players to, to offer it. I think once you, you offer it, you're, you're looking at incrementally smaller chunks of whatever money there is there. So it makes sense that someone else wouldn't leap into that. But I don't know. Maybe it matters. Obviously, it matters in the snow belt. Yeah. I have, I have a pop quiz for you guys because I, <laughs> I pulled up the, the press release for the carnival on Kia's media site. Ooh, okay. Do you, can you na- just take a guess at how many times the word minivan is mentioned in the press release? Ooh. I'm going to say none. I'm, I'm going to agree with Joe. You are correct. It's zero. Uh, how, many time, how many times is the word family mentioned in the Carnival press release? Oh, wow. Probably also zero. Yeah. Once. But it's in, it says, staking claim on the unoccupied space between SUV and family hauler, the Carnival arrives with blah, 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 blah. So... Family hauler mentioned, but it says this, the unoccupied space between SUV and family hauler. So they're, they're going for white space again. Exactly. <laughs> but and, and also uh, I, I searched for kid or kids mentioned not once, uh, huh. but there there is some reference. They do have like a rear uh, interior camera. Uh, of course, the the uh, Pacifica got that new feature called the Fam mm-hmm. Cam. So it mm-hmm. sounds like the Carnival has a feature similar to that, and they do mention a baby in the back seat. Uh, but that's about the extent of of the reference to uh, the Carnival being any sort of family or child hauler. We're out of yeah. time, but I need to point one thing out. When the Ford Flex was introduced way back in or whatever it was, 2009, 2010, Ford chose not to market it as a family hauler, but as a like personal use, fun utility vehicle. And the net res- result was that only surfer dudes in California bought the thing. I'm just saying. <laughs> I, I see a lot of them in Florida also. So Flexes? Yeah, a lot yeah. of them. That's interesting. All right, we have to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk to Toyota's Anthony Novak about Toyota's hybrid strategy. Stick around. Welcome back to the Consumer Guide Car Stuff Podcast. All right, we're back. This is the Consumer Guide Car Stuff Podcast, and I am Tom Appel, publisher of Consumer Guide Automotive. Thanks for joining us today. Hey, when you have a chance, give me a follow on Twitter. I am Car Guy Tom. That is Car underscore Guy underscore Tom on Twitter. I promise to entertain you. All right, our guest today is the Brand and Growth Audiences Manager at Toyota Motor North America. His team develops and maintains Toyota's brand and style guidelines. They also lead Toyota's brand vision and marketing playbook and manage Toyota's hybrid marketing strategy. Welcome to the Car Stuff Podcast, Anthony Novak. Thank you, Tom. I'm really excited to be here and talk today. Anthony, you have what I think is one of the most interesting job titles in the industry and the sort of thing I thought I wanted to do when I first got into market research years and years ago. Tell us about what your job and, and, and more about your job and what it is you do at Toyota. Oh, yes. Um, so I'm the brand and growth audience manager. On the brand side, um, I manage our overall brand messaging. So um, when you think of the Toyota brand and all the vehicles and how they roll up to the Toyota brand, um, really kind of set the vision, kind of our principles, our values, our creative sensibilities. You know, you think of the Toyota brand as like, you know, quality, durability, reliability. And we also look at areas we need to shift the brand in in terms of maybe presenting, you know, some of our new stylish products, our exciting products, all-wheel drive. Um, everything from like messaging, but also when you think about like the look and feel of um, our advertising um, and marketing communications. Um, part of this is I kind of cover some cross-vehicle areas. Um, so areas such as like electrification and, and hybrid vehicles. On the growth audience side, that's um, kind of like a multicultural identity-based marketing. So 
um, you know, um, black African-American consumers, uh, Hispanic, Asian, um, but also like LGBTQ+, plus, um, um, women, youth. And my team kind of develops like the key insights to um, have us authentic, help us authentically connect with um, those consumer groups um, and also develop a campaign um, to increase scaling brand consideration. That is fascinating stuff, and I absolutely love that sort of side of the business. I have a question for you then. When people think about Toyota right now in 2021, what do they think about? And then does the impression that people have of Toyota vary by ethnicity or, or lifestyle choice? Oh, yeah, yeah, it's a great question. So, you know, um, I think, you know, Toyota has a, a long-standing history of being a very reliable brand, very reliable manufacturer. Um, so quality kind of um, hits um, um, value because of the, you know, the low depreciation. You think of, like, cost of ownership. Um, and then also, obviously, safety. You know, we were really kind of quick to the market with our Toyota safety sense. Um, so those are sort of the main things that people look at. In terms of, like, kind of, like, going between the different groups, it's kind of interesting. If you look at, like, Asian Americans, they really kind of focus more on the, um, the functional side or benefits of, uh, of our Toyota product. Um, if you look at kind of like on the Hispanic side, um, they have a really strong brand loyalty. So they act, they tend to start like very kind of like, you know, young with the Toyota brand. And it's kind of like you kind of move up into the, um, 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 if their lifestyle may change, lifestyle needs change, um, they move into different segments. So, um, yeah, so it, it, is, it actually varies quite a bit, and that's what we kind of help do as we have to look to kind of target different markets. You know, we look at stuff in terms of, like, you know, multi-generational families are important for Hispanic and Asian Americans, and so we'll, we'll focus a lot on that in terms of some of our advertising and communication efforts. Hmm. How has the Toyota brand changed, changed perception-wise in, say, the last 15, 20 years? Yeah, I think, you know, you know, really Toyota, you go back to like probably like the early, mid-2010s, you know, we yeah. have such a history, because it's part of Toyota way of continuous improvement and quality, and you think about all those awards we won back, you know, and, you know, we still do in terms of J.D. Power and other uh, accolades about quality. Um, there's been a lot of effort, especially with, you know, our change in the leadership of Occupy Toyota to kind of what we say, create ever better cars. So a lot more stylish product, a lot more style, uh, exciting product. You look at the RAV4, it's how it's kind of like moved in more of like a rugged kind of, um, kind of both in terms of performance, in terms of style. And so, you know, it has changed a lot in terms of people are looking at it as more of an exciting brand. We still have a, lot to, a long way to go because when you look at, you know, people, they might be in the market for a new vehicle five or six years. Right? So, you know, if, they, if they're looking at it like a Camry maybe five years ago, Camry is so much different now, so it's a continuum yeah. challenge to kind of like shift, um, but it's one that's really exciting and um, that you know we work hard to do to kind of try to bring new customers to the Toyota brand and maybe you know kind of think of Toyota brand differently. I had written a piece a long time ago about the dullest vehicles you could possibly buy, and and this was set in the 90s, and, and one of the dullest cars that I had picked was the Camry at the time, just because it, it looked like a pill that had been smoothed off a little bit. And and now the Camry is rather rather aggressively styled. Is there danger, or do you have to tread lightly when you take a car, a car with a reputation for, for, for reliability and just general value like the Camry and start to make it look more aggressive? Do you have to tread lightly as you do that? Do you do that slowly? And do you worry about customer reaction that they might look at that and go, well, that's not a Camry anymore? Hey, that's a good question. You know, I think where we kind of balance that is kind of our commitment in the manufacturing process and the engineering process where there's a lot of emphasis on, on, on look at the vehicle, looking at the improvement, um, kind of studying all the data of what consumers told us about our quality. And quality is one of our top principles at Toyota. You know, we have part of the Toyota way, we have respect for people, and we have Kaizen or continuous improvement. So we never lose sight of that. So we do shift. Some vehicles might shift um, more dramatically, um, but we always keep in mind that kind of like quality mindset. And, you know, when we look think about like engineering COSU and resources, that's always top of mind. So we never try to steer too far from that. Also, though, we always have to, you know, look like attract new audiences to our brand. We have great loyalty. A lot of auto brands have great loyalty. Um, so we do have to maintain it, and, and we, we spend a lot of time on our engineering side uh, maintaining it. And then, but we also look to attract new people to the Toyota brand, um, especially, like, you know, young audience to the Toyota brand, and, and hopefully they'll stay, um, you know, for, the, for their entire life. Huh. Um, so one of your, one of your 
job roles is managing the Toyota hybrid research and marketing strategy. And I have to imagine that hybrids are a genre of vehicle where consumer perceptions have changed dramatically in the last, say, 10, 15 years or so. So, you know, Toyota had such a strong hybrid brand in the Prius nameplate, but now Toyota hybrid, there's plenty of Toyota hybrids that aren't Priuses at all. So I'm curious, is it easier or more difficult to to manage uh, hybrid marketing these days as they become more commonplace? And and what is your focus on, on uh, you know, and as we know specifically, the, the Sienna and the new relaunched Venza are hybrid only. So how has uh, hybrid marketing and what you do there changed in the last decade or so? Uh, yeah, uh, 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 great question. So, you know, in terms of hybrid, we can think it's been out there in the market for a while, and you know, we continue to look at research, going to see how those perceptions have um, changed. What's interesting is when you think of a hybrid first launch, it was kind of like a tech leader, right? It's this new alternative powertrain. Now, when you look at research, you see people with kind of like interest in hybrid vehicles. They look at more as like probably more similar to like gas powertrains, maybe than let's say an you know, electric vehicle powertrain. Um, so, you know, you have to kind of pull a lot of, you know, as we kind of like look to say, like, let's expand our hybrid life, you're going to be pulling a lot of people who are gas vehicle owners into the hybrid family. You know, in terms of hybrid today and kind of like what our focus on, you know, in terms of the messaging, you know, there's still a lot of consumers familiar with hybrids, but there's still quite a few bit of consumers who are still building their familiar with hybrids. Um, you know, I'll get to uh, Venza and Sienna first in, in a second here, but what I would say about hybrids and what we love about hybrids is, it's a very versatile powertrain. That's why it's an important part of our kind of powertrain selection. You know, the high torque of the electric motor provides an instant power for acceleration when you need it, but then also provides excellent efficiency in those kind of low, no-speed situations like circling a parking garage or idling. You know, the other thing about hybrid is it doesn't have that, you know, it doesn't need to be plugged in. It doesn't have those, like, special or unique infrastructural needs, infrastructure needs. So when you want to make a hybrid, uh, I think like Sienna Events 100% hybrid, it's easier to do, right, because it's a, it can be an excellent choice in any market. And, you know, I think when you get to the efficiency, the key thing about the hybrid, right, are, you know, it'll allow that driver, your friends, your family, you'll be able to drive farther. You'll not only save money with, um, you know, you know, lower MPG, but you also, I mean, higher MPG, but you also save time because you're to spend less time at the gas pump and allow you to discover more places. So, you know, we think about the hybrid, we think like that, that blending of power and efficiency, you know, um, that higher MPG and help you go farther. We think, think about specifically for Venza and Sienna. For Venza, really the focus is offering that elegant premium vehicle. And so when you think about the hybrid powertrain, it really provides that, like, quiet, smooth ride. Um, and so also when you think about it, you also get that, you know, very, you know, that smooth, continuous, and instant acceleration. So couple that with, you know, it's like 40 MPG, you know, kind of the best of both worlds. Uh, for the Sienna, you know, our research really tells us that for that vehicle, you know, like road trips and, you know, you're, you're a family, that you're busy, you can't just spend a lot of time at the pump, that, that high MPG is really important. It's really important for family vehicle. And there's really nothing in the minivan segment that can compete with the Sienna's available 36 MPG. So those are kind of the key reasons why we're 100% hybrid on the Benz and Sienna. Hmm. So, I mean, kind of talking along the lines of your hybrid lineup, I mean, when you look at what Toyota has, you have hybrids in everything from the Corolla all the way up to the Highlander now. And in fact, you only have, what, four, maybe five vehicles that don't have a hybrid powertrain, and that'd be like your large larger SUVs and pickup trucks. And you, again, this may be a question you can't answer, but I'm just wondering if there's any thought about bringing electrification to the larger vehicles or, um, yeah, if there's any thoughts about bringing electrification to those vehicles. Yeah, that's a great question. So what I would say, well, I guess what I can say um, is, you know, hybrids, and, and we think the Sienna helped prove it, right? The success we've had with the Sienna, you know, going from a vehicle that did not even have a hybrid powertrain, 100%. We've had a lot of success um, with that vehicle in sales. It's exceeded our um, sales objective every, each month since its launch. So that's kind of proven that hy hybrids are a powertrain, you know, now but also for the future. Um, in terms of future products, unfortunately, as it relates to you know future plans, I cannot share that. But it is, mm -hmm. uh, you know, a very important part of our powertrain and our success with hybrids is continuing our commitment uh, to that. You know, I think when you think of hybrids, you know, um, 
all the benefits it provides to the consumers. But the other benefit is, you know, in terms of, um, you know, it, it helps the society. You know, we've always been a leader in hybrids. And, you know, if you look at, like, the U.S. alone and our sales hybrid, hybrid vehicles, we've avoided approximately 38 million tons of greenhouse gas into the atmosphere. So there's also that benefit to society. So, like I said, and now in the future, um, it's definitely a very important powertrain uh, for Toyota. So the answer is stay tuned. <laughs> yeah, stay tuned. I wish, yeah, you know, yeah, stay tuned. You know, I, 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 I do want to keep my job, so. <laughs> I know, don't we all? No, I totally understand. I just uh, I was wondering if there was anything you could share with us. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we did reach, yeah. Anthony, I was just wondering, is there a downside to committing to hybrid, even if it's just a couple of models? The Venza maybe is more immune to this because it plays in sort of a near luxury segment, and it's kind of a vehicle unto itself. But the Sienna plays in a pretty competitive segment, and to some extent, it has a higher base price than the other vehicles in the category. Do people understand the value of hybrid going in? Do salespeople have to sell through any objections there? Um, and, and maybe have you alienated a small part of the, the buying segment by committing to hybrid? hybrid in that vehicle? Yeah, I think with hybrid, I mean, obviously, you know, you look at, like, gas prices, you know, you have to look at, like, how gas prices, how they kind of, uh, you know, kind of lower increase, because that will change people's value in terms of, you know, MVG in terms of it as a purchase decision. You know, with hybrid, especially, like I say, with Toyota, you know, the obviously the MPG story um, is, is a big one in terms of savings. We also look at like what other benefits you get with a hybrid vehicle. You know, it is something that it is a kind of a convenience vehicle because you are going to save time where you're going to be able to go farther in your vehicle, less trips to the gas pump. So we, we, we've, we've tested some of that um, kind of um, um, with, with focus groups and when our research and kind of positive feedback. I think the other thing too is you look at like the cost zone. It's like benefit Toyota, maybe where Toyota can. You know, it's more about our kind of like, I guess you say, the Toyota brand, where we have kind of like our depreciation coupled with, you know, our Toyota care. So when you look at the overall, you know, depreciation, uh-huh. maintenance costs um, of our vehicles, and then the, the fuel, fuel efficiency over five years, that's where we can really help sales, um, um, you know, sales associates and leadership really talk to them, like, and look at our accolades and like, you know, motor trend and child choice and see us as a best buy and kind of maybe get comfortable with customers comfortable with that, um, you know, you know, with, with purchasing a hybrid, you know, because, you know, there is, there is a price premium. It has lowered over time. Um, but like that cost to own, uh, which we really strong at really across all of our hybrid vehicles, um, as well as that kind of MPG story. And then plus these other benefits, maybe people not necessarily see with a hybrid vehicle is the fact that, you know, you're going to save time. It's going to have some of these other great benefits. Yeah, we have driven the Sienna here at Consumer Guide, and we're generally very impressed. That hybrid drivetrain uh, doesn't feel like a hybrid. I think once you get someone behind the wheel, they're not going to have any problem with the fact that it's a hybrid because they're basically not going to know. We're running out of time, Anthony, but I wanted to ask you real quick about the Prius's role at Toyota now that almost every other passenger vehicle in the lineup is hybrid. What what is next for Prius and, and, and the road to electrification? Does it make sense that the Prius brand might be applied to a pure electric vehicle? Yeah, so um, Prius, and it's a good question. So, you know, obviously Prius, for us, it remains still an icon in advanced automotive powertrains. It continues to be a important part of the Toyota family. We recently celebrated its 20th anniversary. You know, we've, we've evolved it. You know, uh, we added um, a few years ago all-wheel drive E um, to really show it's more than a great city vehicle. It's a video vehicle that can really perform well and give that driver confidence in, like, inclement weather. You know, uh, we you know we recently had um, a new, new battery with going from a you know backing up our durability with a ten year hundred fifty thousand mile hybrid battery. Um, so we'll continue to work it to evolve our products like all products, um, the Prius, and so um, it'll continue to be a pump our lineup, and we'll continue to look ways uh, to make that a better product. Um, for EVs, um, we did recently announce in February we will be coming to the market um, um, with um, an EV vehicle here in the U.S. Uh-huh. And um, you'll find more about that in um, this year. So, yeah, we will be coming out with uh, EV parts. Ultimately, our goal is, you know, the U.S. is very vast, you know, you know, geographically diverse. We, our goal is to offer a powertrain choice for everybody. So you come to Toyota, you know, you can get the powertrain that best suits your desires and your needs. Excellent. Anthony, thank you so much for joining us this week. We hope we can have you back on the show sometime soon. Oh, yeah, anytime. Thank you. 
Thank you. That was Anthony Novak with Toyota. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, it's quiz time. Stick around. Welcome back to the Consumer Guide Car Stuff Podcast. All right, we're back. This is the Consumer Guide Car Stuff Podcast, and I am Tom Appel, publisher of Consumer Guide Automotive. Thanks for sticking around. Hey, Jill. Hey, yeah. Jill, you're active on Zipflog. How can the kids follow you there? Zipflog. Um, Zipflog. Zipflog. Uh, not active on Zipflog, uh, but active pretty much on every other social media that people are currently active on, uh, namely Twitter. Uh, and, and some people are active on TikTok and then Facebook and Instagram. But uh, yeah, you can find me at Jill Simonello. So just my name spelled out or using the hashtag car Sounds good. Damon, you're a flogger. What's the deal? <laughs> <laughs> not a zipper, not a flogger. I'm a tweeter. I'm on Twitter. Oh. <laughs> I'm on Twitter at Damon Bell Likes Cars. Sounds good. All right, follow those kids and their social media activities. Uh, you know what time it is, right? Quiz time. I was going to say lunch time, but that's okay. Quiz time. Did you get food this week? You don't have a growling stomach this week, do you, Joe? Um, I do not have a growling stomach this week, So, but I'm okay. always thinking about food. Food is good. Well, no food today. We're talking about cars and where they're built. I hope you guys are ready. Mm. Uh -oh. I'm not. Uh -oh. I'm not good at this kind of stuff. <laughs> hey, we may break even with zero zero. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll see where this goes. All right, this quiz is called "Where Is It Built?" and Jill, you go first. Woohoo! Porsche's midsize crossover, the Cayenne, shares its MEB Evo architecture with the Volkswagen Touareg, the <laughs> latter of which is no longer available in the U.S. Where are the Cayenne and Touareg assembled? Are they assembled in? Bratislava, Slovakia, Chattanooga, Tennessee, Zuffenhausen, Germany. Um, I'm, I'm going to, Tennessee was not going to be on my list. I would have said Georgia. Um, I, I think they're probably assembled in America, which means I'm probably going to be completely wrong and they're assembled in Slovakia, but I'm going with Tennessee anyway. All right. Damon, same question to you. Where is the Cayenne and the Torag built? Are they assembled in Bratislava, Slovakia, Chattanooga, Tennessee, or Zuffenhausen, Germany? I think I'm going to say uh, Slovakia. <laughs> Damon, you're going to be glad you said that. <laughs> uh, the Q7 I didn't and say Bratislava. 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 <laughs> The Audi Q7 and the Audi Q8 are also assembled there. The score is one to nothing in favor of Damon. Damon, this question goes to you first. Damon, which of the following is not an assembly plant for the 2001 Chevrolet Silverado? Flint, Michigan, okay. Fort Wayne, Indiana, Sileo, Guanajuato, Mexico, or Sterling Heights, Michigan? Diabolo. One of those is not a Silverado factory. The Mexico one is uh, the obvious, but that you would have included just to throw us off. I'm going to say Sterling Heights, Michigan. You're saying that's the fake Silverado factory? Yes. All right, Jill, same question to you. Ah. Uh. Yeah, I kind of feel like it needs to be one of the Michigan plants, because why would you uh, do two plants in Michigan? But I also know that GMC is built in Fort Wayne, but I can't remember. I mean, and I would assume that the Silverado is built on the same Probably sometimes, line. right? Yeah, because um, I remember looking at the carbon fiber bed in Fort Wayne, um, oh. which was by the way, really cool trying to watch somebody break that carbon fiber bed with a baseball bat. And they couldn't do it. Um, ooh, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with Flint, Michigan. I, I'm going to be like, yeah, no, I'm just, I'm going to go with Flint. Well, Michigan was correct, but Flint was not. It was oh. Sterling Heights. Oh. Um, 
Stellantis and Ford both have plants at Sterling Heights, and of course Chrysler's got all sorts of stuff going on up there. Or I shouldn't say Chrysler, but FCA, which is Stellantis. Uh, Damon, you now have two. Ooh, see, you're mm. doing better than you thought. Mm-hmm. Julie, you kind of need this one. Back-to-back uh, lucky guesses. <laughs> well, I have to say, I pointed, well, not in the second one, but on the first one, I pointed you in the right direction. Mm-hmm. Did you? Because I said it was going to be Slovakia, but then I guessed Tennessee. Oh, yes. <laughs> well, you pointed yourself in the wrong direction then. Well, that would be true. I do that often. <laughs> All right. Focus, kids. Jill, Jill, where is the U.S. market Ford Transit Connect built? Oh. Is it built in Kosali, Turkey? Cryova, Romania, St. Louis, Missouri, or Valencia, Spain? Oh, I want to say Valencia, just so that I can use the, um, you know, the, 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 the lisp with the Spanish accent, but I don't think it's there. Um, what, were, what were the first two again? Not St. Louis, but the first two were? It's Kosali, Turkey, and my mm-hmm. apologies to any Turkish person for my pronunciation. Cryova, Romania. St. Louis, Missouri, Valencia, Spain. Oh, man. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to be zero for zero this, this week. I'm going to go with um, R- Romania. <laughs> it's either Romania. Yeah, I'm going to go with Romania. All right. Damon, same question to you. I know for a fact that the previous generation transit connect did you say transit connect or transit transit connect i know that the previous gen transit connect was built in turkey yeah and i can't remember if the current one is too i think it probably is so i'm gonna guess that it is uh turkey Kids, you're both wrong. Yes, that, that uh, generation was Turkey. Uh, the current generation Transit Connect is built in Valencia, Spain. Oh, uh, and that's the one I wanted it to be, so that it could say Valencia. All right. <laughs> no point to anyone there. Damon, this question goes to you. Damon, where was the Infinity QX30 built? This was Infinity's subcompact crossover that shared its architecture with the Mercedes-Benz GLA. Aguas Caliente, Mexico, Caliente, Mexico, Rastatt, Germany, Sutherland, England, or Tuscaloosa, Alabama. Um, I everything wrong. Can you can you pronounce the uh, the Mexico Aguas Caliente? Caliente. Yes, yes that Caliente. Place. I'm going to say Aguas Caliente, Mexico. All right, Jill. Same question to you. You just want to say Caliente. Uh, I, I just yeah. want to say Valen- Valencia Caliente. <laughs> Valencia <laughs> es muy caliente. Because um, it's, it's hot, hot, hot. Uh, I, I, I'm going to, what was the one in the United States? Tennessee, Tuscaloosa, Alabama, that one? Tuscaloosa, Alabama. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say that. Okay, kids, you're both wrong. Uh, <laughs> oh, what? I always forget this because it seems weird, but it was actually assembled in Sutherland, England. Oh, that does seem weird. Wow. That would have been last on my list. Yeah. So the Aguas Caliente Mexico is a Nissan uh, Mercedes JV kind of plant, though, and the GLB and the QX50 are built there right now. So uh. no point to anyone. Damon, you've won this one already, but we still play because it <laughs> amuses me. Uh, Jill, this question goes to you. Jill, which of the following vehicles is not assembled in Canada? Are you ready? Uh, no, but go ahead. Chevrolet Equinox, Chrysler 300, Chrysler Pacifica, or GMC Terrain? Okay, read through those again one more time. Sure. Equinox, okay. Equinox, 300, Pacifica, Terrain. One of those is not assembled by our friends in the Great White North. Um, golly, I'll say the 300. Damon, this question goes to you. Mm, I'm fairly certain that the 300 is, but now I'm stumped because Equinox and Terrain, I could see those being built at the same plant. Yeah, see? And I can't mm. remember if the Pacific Who writes these is, questions? Who, uh, a, a person who tents his fingers and laughs maniacally. <laughs> um, that was actually a pretty good maniacal laugh just there. 
<laughs> Thank you. And I see him tenting his fingers, so uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Stroking his chin, just reveling in the deliciousness of it all as we flipped in the wind. Um, shoot, is the Pacifica in? I was going to say, by that logic, it would have to be Pacifica then. But I can't. Hey, you're, you're coming up on the buzzer, Damon. All right, I'm just. I'm going to say Equinox. I, I don't think. E I'll just guess Equinox isn't made in Canada. Okay, you guys are both wrong. The Equinox is assembled in Ingersoll, Ontario, at the plant that used to be known as Cami. The 300 is assembled in Brampton, Ontario. The Pacifica in Windsor, Ontario. Yeah. But the GMC oh. Terrain is assembled in San Luis Potosi, Mexico. So there you go. The correct wow. answer was GMC uh, Terrain. You, you had a lot of, like, Mexican words and Mexican, you know, Spanish phraseology in today's quiz. Oh, only to demonstrate that I can't pronounce any of it. Got it. <laughs> All right. The bonus question is just for fun today, but we're going to go ahead and do it. Damon, this goes to you first. I think you'll enjoy this question. Uh, Damon, Niles, Illinois is home to a rather extraordinary little ice cream shop called the Village Creamery. The Creamery is best known for its Philippine-style ice cream flavors, all of which are surprisingly good. Uh, Damon, which of the following is not an ice cream flavor currently on the Village Creamery featured flavors menu? Are you ready? Mm-hmm. Chili pepper, durian, lychee, or queso? I'm going... I know... Didn't you say they had, like, corn ice cream? They do. I've had it. <laughs> How is it? Is it's it good. good. Yeah, and it's still sweet, but it's it's got a very rich thing going on. You know what? If you like cornbread, you'll probably like this. Okay. Uh, the, uh, I'm going to guess chili pepper because that sounds like the least, well, it's, in some ways that sounds like the least specifically Asian of the flavors you've mentioned. So I'll say right. chili but I like your logic. Complete guess. Joe, the question goes to you. Which of these is not currently on the Village Creamery featured flavor menu? Chili pepper, durian, lychee, or queso? What in the hell is durian? It's an awful smelling fruit, right? Yeah, it's a big globby thing. Yeah. It's difficult to work thing. with. I don't think I, Westerners dig it. I Yeah, I mean, I, I so I think... Probably I now I, I I feel like chili pepper would be on there, um, because and queso a lot of is actually not yeah Asian cuisine is spicy. Queso. Yeah, no no changing because right. <laughs> I'm gonna say queso, uh, right. but but no I because I know um, lychee I feel like that's kind of a big thing, um, and and the globby dessert or globby fruit thing. Uh, wouldn't surprise me and I, I do feel I mean maybe I'm wrong about chili pepper but I feel like that's no that's that would be a good so I'm gonna go I'm second guessing use. all right well Damon don't second guess chili pepper was the <laughs> oh Dang it. all right you should have unbelievably unbelievably there is cheese ice cream available at the village cream all right Chili, you got shut out this week I uh, know completely um, <laughs> All right, Damon, we don't have a bunch of time left, but tell us what's going on at the CG Daily Drive blog. Uh, got some great uh, kind of off-the-wall articles this week. <laughs> As Do you tell. We have a, uh, there's been a lot of chatter recently about the new U.S. Postal Service truck. Yeah. Uh, I can't remember what the new one is called, but we've got an article on the outgoing uh, postal service delivery truck, which is the Grumman LLV. Uh, if you didn't know the name, I'm sure you know the shape because that's been the go-to postal service uh, light delivery vehicle for uh, over Ever. a couple of decades now. Yeah, I think it was uh, the contract started in the late 80s, they started making them. So we've got a a look at the outgoing uh, Grumman LLV Postal Service vehicle as we transition to the new super tall roofed. Uh, the oh, the new one is called the Oshkosh NGDV. NGDV stands for New Generation Delivery Vehicle, huh. um, which I've heard multiple people say it looks like uh, yes. a pic cartoon version of a postal service delivery truck. But Thomas, you were saying. 
the the profile of the thing makes perfect sense. Um, yeah, from a design standpoint, it's probably a very good layout for a low-speed local delivery truck. Yeah, aerodynamics are not really important when you're rarely right. getting above, you know, 15, 20 miles per hour. And, yeah, having lots of cargo space and a relatively compact footprint is so. And, of course, at some point there will be pure electric versions of these as well. So they are sort of looking to the future uh, of the postal service delivery truck. So that's a neat article to check out. Uh, we've got uh, a test drive review of the new Land Rover Defender. Uh, that's Land Rover's revival of its iconic Defender uh, rugged off-road SUV. Uh, styling that has kind of a tip of the hat to the original, um, but uh -huh. very concept car-esque as well. Uh, also got a test drive gallery on a 2021 Mazda CX-9. And again, from the off-the-wall uh standpoint we've got an uh an article on the first car phones uh and in a nutshell if you had to describe the the very first car phones which happened in the very late 40s if i had to describe it in one word i would say cumbersome <laughs> <laughs> and if i had two very inconvenient not worth the trouble <laughs> damon when when i when i sold cars back in 1991 there was a local installation shop that handled a lot of cellular technology and they had a poster there for the motorola StarTac, and the poster read motorola breaks the seven ounce barrier <laughs> <laughs> and, and that was for a flip phone in 1991 the stuff that you needed to install in your car in what i think was 1948 that's the uh, that's, the, I think, the year of the, uh, the brochure that we fully exploit in this wonderful blog post. <laughs> uh, the installation was 80 pounds of stuff, more if you needed another, uh, another generator and another battery. You also had to, you also had to place the call with uh, the, an operator had to place the call for you. <laughs> So I'm trying right. to imagine you, 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 you being in your car and calling up like a Lily Tomlin-like uh, voiced <laughs> operator to get through to your intended party. Yeah. Oh, man. So that's great stuff. We'll post the links to all that uh, all over the place. All right. You know what, kids? We are completely out of time. But remember, you can reach us at carstuff at consumerguide.com. That is carstuff at consumerguide.com. Special thanks to Anthony Novak of Toyota for joining us this week. Thanks, as always, to Jill and Damon. A tip of the hat to Lady B and the good folks here at WCPT AM in Chicago. And a shout out to my radio mentors, Steve and Johnny. Hey, let's talk more about cars next week.